0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. When Daniel's visions had come to an end, and when his life and his book had finished being penned, that son of man had still not come for them. For as the visions promised, God's kingdom would come long after Daniel and his friends. It would come after the Persians, Medes, Greeks, and Babylonians. For even though Israel was back in their land, they were still waiting for their Savior. They were still waiting for the Son of Man. He would not reach his goal through furnaces, lions' dens, or amassing armies and gold. Instead, He would transform a cross into his throne. Well, welcome again to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. We are going to jump into Daniel life in the end. I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. I know that I've enjoyed this series so far. It has stretched me. It has challenged me. Let's begin with a quick little recap. In season one, we learned that in 605 BC, Daniel and other teenagers like him, they were kidnapped. They were forced into exile by an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar. They were left in the land of Babylon for 70 years where they faithfully served. Under three wicked kings, you'll remember these names, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Cyrus were the three kings. Uh, The book of Daniel is made up of two halves, as we talked about in previous weeks. The first half, chapters 1-6, through contains narratives from the life of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They show Daniel and his friends uh, serving their pagan masters loyally as the prophet Jeremiah commanded them, yet without compromising to their greater loyalty to God. The second half of the book, Daniel 7 through 12, contains apocalyptic visions. These are visions designed to reassure God's people that, in spite of their present persecution and suffering, God is in control and God will be victorious. That's what we've explored the last two weeks. We've talked about these visions, crazy visions, right? I told you my vision of the ram. We're going to see if that vision plays out well today or not. Uh, well, we talked about these different beasts, the goat and the ram that Daniel had a vision of and then how they prophesied future events. And I just want to remind you that apocalyptic literature is very hard to understand, Because symbolism is a key element in apocalyptic literature. And sometimes these symbols baffle readers. Well, today we're in Daniel chapter 9, which contains the goat of all prophecies. Maybe it's called the GOAT. The goat of all prophecies, the greatest of all time prophecies. Many scholars through the ages have called this chapter the backbone of prophecy. Okay, this, this is one of the greatest prophecies of all time. We could skip forward in the notes here just a little bit to the backbone of prophecy. Uh, one pro- commentator, H.A. Uh, Ironside, said that it's the greatest prophecy all, of all time. H.C. C. Leopold says that the verses of this chapter... Unroll a panorama of history that's without parallel even in the sacred scriptures. Philip Newell says this is the greatest chapter in the book of Daniel and one of the greatest in the entire Bible. And even Sir Isaac Newton, one of the the greatest mathematicians of all time, said that the whole truth of Christianity can stand alone on this prophecy. This one prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, the goat of all Prophecies. Now, we have a lot to cover, which is why I'm talking so fast right now. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you so much again for the CR team leading us in worship. And I want to thank you right now for the chance to open up your word. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to come under you. We also acknowledge, God, that there are times where your word challenges us. I pray, God, that we would have ears that hear that we would have a heart that is soft that we would respond to your calling in our lives i pray god that at those times where we need to be in awe of you the fact that you know the future that you're driving the future shows us that that you are enormous you are mighty god we we've declared today that the battle belongs to you that that you are that you set Captives free from slavery you are mighty God we acknowledge that today so just humble our hearts put us in the right place today as we open your word I pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said amen Amen. now Daniel received the greatest prophecy of all time one evening after he was spending some time in Bible study and prayer. Now, I was driving to church here on Thursday with my son, Thursday afternoon. We were working on the lobby, trying to get some things in order in the lobby. My son, he's only six years old, and he asked me this question, a really good question. He said, "Uh, how do we hear, Dad, how do we hear God's voice? I said, that's a great question, John. We hear God's voice through his word. That's why we call it, the Bible, the word of God. If you're wondering what God has to say to you, he's written it down for you in the Bible. That's why I read the Bible to my kids at nighttime, because I want them to hear God's voice. But we communicate to God through prayer. We hear from God through his word. We communicate to God through prayer. Time in the word, time in prayer, time with believers is where a relationship with God is forged. It's through these disciplines that we learn the most about God and learn the most about ourselves, which is why I'm excited about Rooted. And 160 people are going through Rooted right now, which is super exciting. And it, yeah, pumps me up. Let's give it up. Yeah, Marcus and the team did an awesome job with that. They're committing 10 weeks to hearing from God, communicating with God, growing in God in community. That's, that's how we grow. That's how we hear from, from God. But today's message, I want you to see, it's broken down into three sections. There's the Bible study, the prayer, and the prophecy. That's Daniel chapter 9. The Bible study, the prayer, and the prophecy so let's start with number one the bible study this is what Daniel says Daniel 9 starting in verse 1 in the first year of Darius Darius is a king under Cyrus the son of Ahasuerus by descent Amid who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign I Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. The first thing I want you to see in Daniel 9 is that even prophets study the Bible. Daniel here is reading the scrolls of Jeremiah, and although Daniel has a book named after him, okay, that's massive, he still never stopped studying the word. Okay, it doesn't matter how many times you study a passage, there is always something new to learn. That's because the word of God is living and active. Can I get an amen? The word of God doesn't, you don't just read it, it reads you. Well, here Daniel is in his late 80s, and he is still pouring over the scriptures now just a side note one of my favorite things about this series so far is that it has forced us as a church to be students of the word because each week we've gone deeper and deeper and deeper into some of the hardest passages in all of scripture passages that most people just skip over that most pastors won't even preach about because they're challenging and, and and they they take a lot out of us but you guys have been all in on the ride you've been amazing give yourselves a round of applause that has been awesome it's inspired me to keep going through this, this series verse by verse. And, and we've, during this series, we've given, given away more Bibles than ever before, which has been awesome. We've been seeing more people take notes during this series than ever before. We've been seeing people come to Christ through this series and the last one more than ever before. And in fact, uh, this last week, you guys have been so serious about notes. Last week, I gave uh, in my sermon, I said that I had eight characteristics of the Antichrist, and I only shared seven. And uh, at the end of the sermon, I'm sitting here at the stage, there was a line of people asking me for number eight. In fact, there was somebody posted a meme of me online later on. I think we have a picture. Yeah. So it says eight characteristics of the Antichrist, but there's only seven. I already wrote eight, and they got this Britney Spears face. That's what you guys were making at me <laughs> when I forgot to tell you number eight. So I, I, that, to me encourages me because it reminds me it shows me you guys are in for this you really want to know and understand the word of God and me as a pastor that gets me very excited just don't make memes about me anymore okay okay Uh, Daniel's bible study led him to a prophecy a prophecy that was made over a hundred years prior to to him reading this this passage, and it was a prophecy about the exact situation that he was living through. Jeremiah twice in chapters 25 to 29 prophesies what will happen to God's people in Judah when they're exiled to Babylon. He talks about it way before they are even exiled, and this is what he says. I'll read you one of the passages. Jeremiah 29.10 says this, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon... This is happening over 100 years before this happens. I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You guys know this part of the prophecy. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This was written over a hundred years before the exile even happened. So Daniel, one day, he's reading the scriptures And he comes across this passage written about the very situation he was living in. And then he pulls out his calculator or whatever they used back then. And he starts doing the math. And he realizes that they were 67 years into a 70-year exile. And so this realization launched him into one of the most epic prayers in the entire Bible. Daniel chapter 9 is primarily a prayer. But before we move forward, I just want to point out one thing, and it's this. God's plans for you are good even when life is hard. Did you know that this morning? God's plans for you are good even when life is hard. You see, the Jews in this passage, in the book of Daniel, they were being disciplined for their rebellion, but God still had their good in mind. And so I want you to know that even when life is hard, even when you are struggling Even if you are being disciplined, God's plans for you are still good. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare. And sometimes God uses hard things to accomplish very good things. One thing I want you to know, throughout Daniel, I hope you've seen this, God cares more about the condition of your soul and your eternal destiny and your character as a human being than he does about your temporary comfort. Did you know that? God cares far more about your character, far more about whether or not you're going to be with him forever than he does about your temporary comfort and pleasure. And so sometimes God is going to let Hard things come into your life to shape you and mold you, and you're going to feel in that moment like, oh my gosh, God hates me. No, God's letting that happen to you because he loves you. He would rather see you learn and grow and develop and change and flourish through mistakes and pain and suffering and heartache than go down the the wide road that leads to what does the Bible say the wide road leads to? Destruction. God sent his people into exile because they were on the wide road that led to destruction. And so he said, man, if I keep letting them go this way, their generation after generation is going to fall away from the Lord and, and, and something needs to happen. And so he pulled them off of that road and he put them on a hard road, but it was actually for their good. God's plans for you are good even when life is hard. Can I get an Amen. Well, it was a hard 70 years for Daniel, but he was so overwhelmed by God's goodness, even in the hardships, that he couldn't help but break out into one of the most epic prayers in the entire Bible, which leads to section number two of Daniel 9, and that is the prayer. Now, Daniel's prayer has four parts, and it's a great model for what effective prayer looks like okay so if you guys are looking for like a tool for how to pray this would be a great tool for you or if you're just looking at ways to to have some breakthroughs in your prayer life or you have something that you're seriously considering you need an answer from God on right here right now use Daniel's method for prayer and 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 actually it's conveniently it could be summarized with the acronym pray p-r-a-y and so I'm going to walk you through Daniel's prayer using that acronym number one When you pray, the first thing that we see with prayer and the first thing we saw with Daniel is praise. Praise first. Look at what he says, Daniel 9, 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The beginning of this prayer reminds me a lot of the Lord's Prayer. Because how does Jesus start the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is the word, it means to to honor something as holy. That's that's what Jesus was was teaching us to do. Jesus taught us to begin our our prayers with praise. And so Daniel here is beginning his prayer with praise. Daniel calls God the great and awesome God who keeps steadfast love. Did you see that in the passage? He's the great and awesome God who keeps steadfast love. There there is no one else like God. He alone is great. Now, it's easy for us to just say that, but what you need to realize is that throughout history, people have been competing for the title of great Everyone wants to be the goat, right? But we already know Tom Brady's the goat. Everybody else thinks that there's another goat. Or whoever you think the goat is of whatever sport or whatever thing you enjoy, everyone wants to be the great, right? We talked last week about Alexander the who? Alexander the Great. There, in, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Herod the Great. There was a guy named Napoleon the Great, Ivan the Great. If you look it up online, there are hundreds of people who went by the name the Great, but understand that that term is overused and underrated in comparison to our great God. Because only God is actually great. There are certain words that we just overuse, and that's one of them. Great. Like, I use the word awesome all the time. And I could just be talking about, you know, my french fries at In-N-Out. And, and that's, that's awesome. But there are certain words... that that we need to reserve for for certain contexts, because God is awesome. God is great. I heard a story of a man who went to a psychiatrist and said, hey, doctor, um, I think that I have an inferiority complex. And the doctor said, okay, well, let me run some tests on you. And so he ran several tests on the guy, and he got back to him, and he said, hey, I've done a full workup on you, and you know what? I've realized you're you're actually wrong. You don't have an inferiority complex. You really are inferior. Okay? (laughs) And I share that with you because we need to realize, this is not popular in today's culture, we need to realize we are inferior to God. We're inferior. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the solutions. We don't have what it takes to save ourselves. We are inferior. But we know the one who is great and awesome and mighty? Yahweh is his name. And he sent his son Jesus to make a way for us. And so, prayer, effective prayer, always begins with praise, recognizing God is the creator, we are the creatures. So, the P in pray is praise. The second thing that happens in this prayer is Daniel repents, which is the R. So, R, repent. Now, just a side note, as I read this passage, I want you to pay attention to how many times Daniel uses the word we in this prayer. Look at what he says. Daniel 9. He says, We have sinned, and we have done wrong, and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord... Belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that you have committed, they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Daniel was a man of prayer. That's one of the reasons why he succeeded in Babylon. Even though he was a slave in the king's court, he rose up to power. He rose up to prominence because he was a man of prayer. In fact, it was his prayer life that put him in the lion's den. You guys remember that? He was told not to pray to any other God. And he, what did he do? He went to his window. He opened the door for everybody to see, and he got on his knees three times a day towards Jerusalem, and he prayed. This was a man of prayer. He often prayed throughout his life. From a teenager to now in his 80s, he is a man of prayer. And in this prayer, he's not just praying for himself. He's interceding for his people. He's interceding for his nation. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And we haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set up before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the all his works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice and now our Lord our God who brought your people now, O oh Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Now, most of you guys know I enjoy motocross. Some of you guys know that by now. I enjoy motorsports in, in general. And one thing you'll notice, if you like like motorsports, when, when racers get on the podium... They never use the word I, they always use the word we, okay? They never say, I felt great today. They always say, we felt great today, even though there was nobody on the back of their motorcycle racing with them, okay? But they always use the word we, we felt great because they talk as a team. We had the bike tuned in just right. We knew we were fast out on the track. We were very happy with the results. Oftentimes the good racers, the ones who win, the ones who end up on the podium, they know it's not just them. They know it takes a team to win. It takes a team. And so they use the word we. Well, Daniel's prayer isn't just me, it's we. Daniel repents here, not of just only of his sin, but also of the sins of his people. Now, to repent, you guys know this, to repent. You're going in one direction. You're doing one thing your own way. Then you acknowledge, oh, my goodness, I'm going the wrong way. You acknowledge it. You confess it. You make a 180-degree turn, and you turn towards God, and you embrace his way. Well, what I love about Daniel is no matter how hard life was, he never had a victim mentality about what was going on in his world. He turned from his sins. He prayed for his people, and he took them with him to turn the opposite direction of Sin. Daniel was an incredibly righteous man who was suffering for the consequences of his own ancestors, but he was never a victim in his own mind. He never had a victim mentality. He lumped himself up into his people and said, We have sinned. We need to repent. Did you guys see any sins of Daniel in the book of Daniel so far? Have you seen him sin one time? No, we don't see one. But here he's making confession. He is turning from sin. He is saying, we have done it. He lumps himself in with his people. And I find this inspiring because it's very rare in today's culture to own up to sin. It's very rare. Let me show you six ways that culture typically deals with sin. Number one is we like to deny it. People will say, well, to me, in my mind, you know, that's, that's not a sin. I don't see that as a sin, so I, it's not a big deal to me. But, but here's the thing. We don't define what sin is. God does. We don't define what true, what, what's truth. God does. Uh, I, if, if I ever find myself disagreeing with God, the problem is not God. The problem is me. That's one common response to sin is to deny it. The second common response is to hide it. We've gotten so good at hiding behind masks hiding behind polished social media profiles, hiding behind walls and lies, hiding behind substances, isolating ourselves, sweeping things under the rug. Instead of owning the problems, instead of owning the pain, instead of owning the sin, we deny it or we hide from it. But that doesn't fix it. It still remains. The third common thing that we do instead of owning it and repenting is we repent, just so you know, repent is not a popular word, okay? It's an offensive word because it's saying, hey, you were wrong. But that's why prayer starts with praise, coming under God and saying, you know what, God, I'm gonna do things your way, not my way. And when I see things your way, that means that sometimes I need to confess and I need to repent instead of denying, instead of hiding, and instead of making excuses. People will often say, well, you know what? Yeah, it's a, it's a sin, but it's really not that big of a deal. You know, it, you know it's, all, sins are, all sins are basically the same. It's really not that big of a deal. All sins, you know, all sins are the same. Well, well really? Where does it say in the Bible that all sin is the same? Okay, I, I hear that all the time. All sin is not the same. All sin... Cuts us off from God, yes. James says that when you break one law, you break all of God's law. But God's judgment towards certain sins is far greater than his judgment towards other sins. Last night, I went to the, the Hanford uh, Jazz Festival, uh, hung out with some friends over there from the church. And on our way back, uh, Blake asked me, he, she said, hey, will you go to jail for driving too fast? And I don't think I was driving too fast, just, just for the record. I think I was driving just fine. She asked, will you go to jail for driving too fast? And I said, no, I I won't go to jail. I'll get a ticket for driving too fast. But if I drive too fast and I injure somebody seriously, then I may end up going to jail. Both examples are examples of breaking the law. But one is a worse offense than the other. That's how sin works. Jesus talks about this. He says that there will be greater condemnation for some than for others. That judgment will be b- more bearable for some than for others. All sin is not the same. All sin cuts you off from God. But when you're held accountable for sin, judgment varies based on the kind of sin that one commits. And so stop making excuses. Don't deny sin. Don't hide sin. Don't excuse sin. And number three, number four, don't blame others for sin. Daniel could have blamed his ancestors for the problems that he was facing. But Daniel repented along with his ancestors. Even though Daniel did nothing wrong, he was suffering the consequences of his people. He could have blamed them. He could have made fun of them. He could have said, God, why did you let my people do this? But instead, he lumped himself in with his own people. And instead of blame shifting, he took it on his own shoulders and he confessed. Okay, this this goes back to the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. You guys might remember this. Eve ate of the apple. And who did she blame for eating the apple? You guys remember? She said, the serpent made me do it. And then God talks to Adam, and Adam like, hey, why would you eat of the apple? And Adam says, it's that woman you gave me. She made me do it. And guys are still saying that today. And you need to stop blame shifting, okay? We need to stop blame shifting. We often hear, you know, it's not my fault. I'm just an Enneagram 8. You guys use Enneagram? I, I hear that all the time. No, that's just my profile. That's my disc profile. I just do that because that's how I'm, no. You can't blame shift. You have to own it. The fifth thing that we do after we blame, if we don't like that, then we normalize it. We normalize sin. Daniel's people had normalized their sin for hundreds of years. It became commonplace to worship foreign gods on on every hill and under every green tree in the Old Testament. It became commonplace, this is crazy, to sacrifice children to foreign gods. That became normal in their culture. If we're not careful, if we don't recognize God is creator, I'm creature. He is true, his word reigns, and I come under the word. I'm not above the word. I am under, I, I'm under God's word. As soon as we put ourselves above God's word, we do all of these things. We deny, we hide, we excuse, we blame. And eventually we begin to normalize sin. And, and I, I don't know if you guys are noticing this, but this is happening quite a bit in today's culture. Where we normalize what is wrong. Let's not call it sin. Let's call it something positive. And once you've normalized sin and silenced those who speak out against sin, the next thing that you do is you celebrate it. You deny it, you hide it, you excuse it, you blame shift, then you normalize it, then you celebrate it, and then all of a sudden there is no such thing as a sin. In fact, you are the wrong person because you believe God's truth, and that makes you a bigot. It's a slippery slope. Daniel didn't do any of this. He owned up to his sin. He owned up to the sins of his people. I like to read military books. And uh, one of the books I I read recently was Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and and Leif uh, Babin. Have you guys ever read that book, Extreme Ownership? If you like to lead people or you're in a leadership context... Read that book. Um, it, is written by, uh, it is written by some Marines, so there's some harsh language in there, just so you know. But it's a really good book. Extreme Ownership is about taking responsibility, not only for your own performance, but also for the performance of others. Okay, This is what our culture needs more of, people owning it. When things are not right in my household, it's not my kids' fault, It's not my wife's fault, it's my fault. Athletes, when your team is struggling and you know you should be winning those games, it's not all your teammates' fault, you're a part of that team. You are part of the problem. It is your fault. Take it on yourself. If you want to see it turn around, then you become part of the solution. Bosses, team leaders, principals in the house. If you manage people, if you lead people in this room, when things are not good in your work environment, when things are not good in your household, when things are not good in your context, it's not everyone else's fault. It's actually your fault. That is extreme ownership. You own up to your performance and you own up to the performance of others. Now, some of you are offended by this and and you're thinking, well, that's really harsh. That's That's a high expectation. But even the business world knows this to be true. There's another great business book out there called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And so, if you like leadership books, this is another great one. Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he has this section in there where he talks about the difference between great leaders and poor leaders, and it's called The Window in the Mirror. And he says this, when when poor leaders are doing a bad job and they realize that things are not good in their work. What they do is they look out at the win- the window of their office, at all of their workers and they look at everybody else and they say, "You know what? This thing is not going well and we are not succeeding as a company because of them. It's the workers' fault. We need to do something about them." That's what a poor leader does. But a great leader, you know what they do? They don't look out the window. They look at the mirror. They look at the mirror and they say, you know why we're not succeeding? You know why we're struggling? You know why we're not meeting our goals as a business? Because of me. What can I do to turn this thing around? The same is true when things are be- when things are good. A poor leader, when things are good, he'll look in the mirror and he'll say, man, this is so awesome. We're hitting all our goals and we are thriving and succeeding because I am so great. Everybody, hey, look at me. Look how good I am. I totally did this. That's what a poor leader will do. But a great leader, when things are good, you know what he does? He looks out the window at his people. And he says, all these good things are happening. All this amazing accomplishment is because of them. They are the ones who are securing this for us. That is extreme ownership. Owning our faults is the first step towards growth. And there's something great waiting on the other side of repentance, but you have to own it. Can I get an amen? Praise, repent. Number three ask. The A in pray is ask. Look at what Daniel says. Oh Lord, now he goes into asking. According to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, and your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord, Our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we... Do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And so here we see the proper order for prayer. We praise first. We repent next and then at that moment we are qualified to ask. And so that's just a good pattern for you and for me. Slow down in prayer. Usually we come before God in prayer with our request ready to go. But before we make a request, let's praise him. And before we make a request, let's repent. Let's get right with him and then make our request known before God. And what does Daniel ask for in this prayer? He asks for one thing. He just asks for grace. How many of you are in need of grace this morning? God, give me grace. Grace to rebuild. Grace to get this area of my life back. Grace to overcome this mental struggle. Grace to get my finances right. Grace to just be positive today. Grace to just have a good day. Like, I'm so tired of people cutting me off. Like, just tired of it. Just give me one good day. Grace to not see something crazy on Facebook. Just give me a little bit of grace. God, I need a little bit of grace. We all need a little bit of grace. Can I get an amen? We all need some grace, amazing grace. Daniel just had one request before God. God, I just need a little bit of grace. And in order to understand this prayer, we need to think back to, to why they were in Babylon. See, in week one of this series, if you go back to the beginning of Daniel, we learned that the, the, the Jews were in Babylon because they had, re, they had sinned and rebelled big time. Look at what 2 Kings says. 2 Kings 17 it says that they rejected the Lord's decrees. And the covenant he made with their ancestors. And they despised all his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols. So they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them. Disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. They rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal. They set up an Asherah pole and worshiped Baal and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and they practiced sorcery and they sold themselves to evil arousing the Lord's anger. They did this for hundreds of years. And that's why they were in exile in Babylon. They were exiled because of their sin. Daniel recognizes it. Daniel can't make up for it. Nobody can make up for it. And when you can't make up for something, and when you can't fix something on your own, what is the one thing that you need from God? You need what? Grace. And so Daniel's prayer is very, very simple. God, please give us grace. Restore our former glory. Fix what we have broken. Let your face, God, shine down on me again, shine down on our families again, shine down on our nation again. Forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our selfishness, make us new, rebuild your land, rebuild your temple, rebuild your people, show us your amazing grace. We can't do it on our own, God, we need your grace. He remembered, yes, there were gonna be times that were hard, 70 years of hardship, but lumped into that, there was this amazing promise of God's amazing grace. Jeremiah 29, 11, if you are going through a hard time today and you need grace and you're wondering, does God have anything good for me? Does God have anything, you know, great for me? Or I am, just, am I just going to be stuck in this problem forever? I want you to remember this hope in the midst of the pain. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you future and a hope. God promises grace to those who ask for it. Do you need grace? God will give you grace. Praise first, repent, and then ask, and he will grant it. He will give you grace. Well, just as Daniel is wrapping up this prayer, something amazing happens. An, an angel comes from the Lord, the angel Gabriel, by the way. There are millions of angels. We only know two of them by name, Gabriel and Michael. Both of them show up in the book of Daniel because it's an apocalyptic book, which leads us into the final section of the, the PRAY acronym. Y is for yield. After you ask, then it's time to yield. This is what Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God while I was speaking in prayer the man Gabriel that's the angel whom I'd seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice he made me understand speaking with me and saying oh Daniel I've now come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy a word went out And I've come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. The why and pray is yield. So when you bring your problems to God, you know what you you know what's so cool about, about God? When you praise God, when you repent, when you ask, and then when you yield, when you bring those problems to Him, you no longer need to worry about them. They are in far more capable hands. The moment you bring your concerns, the moment you bring your pains, the moment you bring your problems to creator God. We said he is the great and awesome God, right? He is sovereign. He is powerful. He, he could turn your life around like this. The moment you put your problems into his hands, you no longer need to worry about them. That's why Paul says in Philippians, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yielding is basically saying, God, this is now in your hands. I am now in your hands. My family is now in your hands. My finances are now in your hands. This problem is now in your hands. Your will be done. What does Jesus say to pray? Your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. God has it covered. South Valley, I know that there are people in this room who are struggling today. And you've been carrying these burdens, you've been carrying these pains, you've been carrying these fears for a long time, like Susan just talked about. You felt like, you know you got all this going on, but you're, you're, you've been silenced. Maybe you've tried things and it just hasn't worked. Prayer works. Prayer will work. Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Trust him with it, yield before him. Now, it may not always be your timeline. How long was Daniel in Babylon for? 70 years. Now, I don't, I'm not saying your problem's going to last 70 years. It won't, okay? Let's just claim that today. It's not going to happen. Like, not gonna, we don't need a 70-year problem. But if it does last for a while, God still got you. God still had Daniel. Daniel didn't want to be eating the Babylonian food. He wanted to get back to his hometown. But he was stuck there. God still had him covered. God still made him succeed. God can take the pressures of life the pains of life, the problems of life and make you succeed through it, make you strong through it, make you powerful through it only if you lean into him because God loves to use weak people to do incredible things. When we think we're strong, that's when we're actually weak. When we know we're weak, that is when we are actually mighty and strong. And the Lord, Daniel's strength came through his weakness. Your power is gonna come through your pain. It's going to come through your pain. Stop rejecting it. Stop trying to hide from it. Stop trying to run from it. Stop trying to excuse it. Trust God with it. Well, God showed that he heard Daniel's prayer by sending a helper, Gabriel. Gabriel is an angel who is known in the Bible for bringing important news. He's the one who 500 years later appeared to Mary and said that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Well, Gabriel, he comes and he says to Daniel, Hey, Daniel, man, greatly loved by God, I have an answer for you. That title, greatly loved by God, is is the same way that Jesus referred to John the disciple, the disciple whom he greatly loved. And later on in the book of John, when John writes to believers today, you know what he calls us? Beloved. You know what that means? Those who are greatly loved by God. You know why you can yield? You know why you can trust God with your pain? You know why you can trust God with your children? You know why you can trust God with your finances? You know why you can trust God with whatever is bothering you? Because of this, you can yield because you are greatly loved. Did you know that today? You are greatly loved. And you have a far greater helper than Gabriel. You have the Holy Spirit. And you have a far greater intercessor than Daniel because you have the Son of God, Jesus Christ, interceding daily for you. You can yield. You can trust because you are greatly loved. Satan would like for you to think that God is rejected you, that God has turned his back on you, that God no longer has good for you. But God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, plans for a future, plans for a success. Pray to him, lean into him, yield to him because you are greatly loved. Well, after this amazing heartfelt prayer, one of the most amazing prayers in all of scripture. God delivered the greatest prophecy of all time, the most complex, most amazing prophecy. Scholars are still writing about it. Scholars are still baffled by it. Minds are blown every time they read it. And if you wanna learn more about it, you gotta come back next week, okay? Number three is the prophecy, but we clearly don't have time for that today. I wanna give you three takeaways though. Three takeaways for this message. Number one, heaven is never far away. I hope you're seeing with Daniel, heaven is never far away. Daniel gave a three minute prayer and the angel of Gabriel showed up immediately. Okay, there there is no busy signal when calling into heaven. Okay, I know when you try to cancel your internet provider, it takes you like a week of phone calls. It doesn't work that way with prayer. Prayer goes directly to God. It's seen as a, as a sweet aroma, the incense of the saints around the throne of God. Daniel's prayer, it might seem like a long prayer, it was only three minutes. Three-minute prayer, and then after three minutes, God sent an angel named Gabriel. Your heaven is never far away. You are never, ever alone. And I want to just say this very clearly today. This last week, I did a funeral, uh, and I do a lot of funerals. This one was for a suicide. And I do a lot of funerals for suicide. And that's become more and more prominent in our culture. A lot of times it's because people feel they're alone. It's because people feel like it's too much to bear. It's because people think that solutions are too far away. Heaven is too far away. There's hope, there's healing. Open your mouth. Talk to God, talk to others. You're not in this alone. Satan wants to silence you. Satan wants to make you make excuses. Satan wants you to blame others. Satan wants you to play victim. He wants to isolate you and put you in the dark. And if you do that, all kinds of bad thoughts are gonna haunt you and get in your head. And you might come to a spot where you feel like the only solution is to end it all. But that's not the solution. The solution is to open your mouth in prayer, open your mouth to others that's why we have rooted that's why we have cr that's why we have small groups because god wants to move in your life satan wants to isolate you god wants to help you heaven is never far away can i get an amen Amen. number two application look for ways to spice up your prayer life if you're here today and you're like man i don't pray anymore because i just i just don't have anything to say daniel began his time of prayer with fasting Maybe it's time to fast. And if you're doing Rooted, you're going to fast with us because that's part of our, our Rooted curriculum. Fast when we fast for Rooted. Or maybe pray through the scriptures. Daniel was reading Jeremiah, which is what inspired his prayer life. Use the scriptures as a template for prayer. Spice it up. Pray in a group. Pray through the scriptures. Pray with your rooted group. Number three, finally, third takeaway, pray for others. Daniel interceded for his people. Jesus intercedes for us. That means we are called to intercede for others. It's you who's called to intercede for your family and to intercede for your oikos. And to intercede for your coworkers and to intercede for this nation and even to intercede for this church. And I want to say thank you to those of you who have interceded for me, who have interceded for South Valley, because it's the prayers of the people that hold all of this together and keep us going in the direction God has for us. Intercede for others. Pray for others. Help is never far away. I hope you know that today. I'm going to pray and we're going to close out. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for uh, just a great church to serve in and people to love. And I just ask, God, that you would be blessed through us, blessed by us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.